right, well, good morning. Good to see you today. Ready to get into the Word of God? All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 1, as we uh, begin to study and look, and um, the great thing about uh, talking about Jesus, you've got a lot of material. Amen? So we're on a series on the subject of Jesus, and we're going to look at a lot of different dimensions of who He is and what He has said and, and how that really does affect us directly and indirectly, what people have thought about Jesus, and, and really just kind of dig down in over this course of, of really several months to look at not only the theological, but the philosophical, historical dimensions that relate to who He is. I want to start with a quote from a famous uh, uh, rock music star named John Lennon. John Lennon was really made famous in a negative way by a statement he made about Jesus Christ. I want to give it to you. He said this, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue with that. I'm right and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Well, as you know, that statement fueled someone who eventually took his life, which undoubtedly was wrong and totally out of place. But I think it captures a mindset, a mindset that people have about Jesus, about God, and, and he's kind of like relegated maybe back here to, that's really nice for a lot of people, but I don't know if that's nice for me. Or how does Jesus relate to me on a daily, daily basis? Well, let's look at it like this. God is all about new beginnings. You know, the one thing I've found true in people's lives is everybody wants a new beginning. Everybody looks at their life with a certain sense of regret. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. If I had my life to do over, how different it would be. I want you to know the good news about Jesus is that every day can be a new beginning for you. That God loves you and his grace is so sufficient, so adequate, so much greater than all of your failures, all your difficulties, all the struggles you have. His grace is greater than all of that. And that should be good news. You know, on Easter, we're going to have baptism and we uh, we were set out to baptize about 100 people. I think we had about 50 at our class last week. We have a, another class coming up this week. It's just a short time. We touch base, give you the, the highlights about baptism. And on Easter sunrise service, you got to be serious to get baptized at 6.30 in the morning. You know what I mean? But last year, we saw great things happen. And this year, we're going to see if if you feel like God is leading you in that direction, we want to encourage you to come and at least hear more. Think about what that might mean for you. Jesus said when he was baptized by John, he, and John said, don't do that. Don't, don't move. I need, you need to be baptizing me. He said, forbid it not, John, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus tied baptism to the idea of righteousness. There's something about it that is transformational in our life. Also realize this, that God is the giver of all life. When you think about what role does Jesus play in our life, well, God is the giver of life. The life that I have is not because of my parents alone, it's also because of God. 
And when I enter into this walk and this relationship with God, I understand more and more about what life means and how that can be rich and full. And then know this, that light always overcomes darkness. Whenever we push light into a room, it doesn't take a lot of light to be seen. And the Bible says that we are to be the light of the world. Jesus was the true light coming into the world, John says, that enlightens every man. So let's look in our Bibles now, John chapter 1. And beginning in verse 1, and listen to what John says. His gospel is very different than the other three gospels. The other three gospels are called synoptic gospels. It means they all look through the same set of lenses and the events of Jesus. John is different. When John comes and, and hits the scene, it doesn't be, he doesn't begin with a scene in the manger. He doesn't begin with a genealogy. He begins with the eternal Son of God, and he begins with these words. In the beginning was the Word. That's so radically different than Matthew, Mark, or Luke begins the gospel. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now whenever you study the Word of God, the written Word, you know that there's also the living Word. Jesus is called the Word, and we see it here, that He was with God, and He was God. So we know there's more to Jesus than simply being that one who was born in a manger, that one who is called the Son of God. We're going to see a little bit later as we study into this that he is the eternal Son of God. The reason the Pharisees picked up stones to stone him and eventually crucified him was because he claimed to be God. And for that, they said that's blasphemy. Jesus throughout his ministry acknowledged that he was God in the flesh. This is what made the religious people so angry. It wasn't because he said he was the Messiah. That was easy to take. The miracles, that was not so easy to take because it drew the crowds away from the Pharisees, the religious leaders. But his claim to be God of very God was what really, really got him in trouble with the establishment. So it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If I read that in the Greek, it literally says this, in beginning God. In beginning God. Now, I want you just to kind of hold yourself right there for a moment, hold that passage, and let's go over to the book of Genesis. Because Genesis has an interesting way it, it begins as well. It's almost identical the way Genesis begins and the way that the Gospel of John begins. Listen to it. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see this parallel, and it's not by accident that John writes that the Holy Spirit inspires and pulls these two things together, because what John wants to do is he wants to bring you back to the book of Genesis and establish that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. When Jesus was born, he was God who took on human flesh born in the likeness of men. That's different. That's radically different than we could imagine most people think about Jesus. Many of the world religions acknowledge Jesus as a prophet, like Islam acknowledges Jesus as a prophet, as a good man, but not as God of very God. That is what makes it radically different. Let me tell you why it's so important. If Jesus is not God, then the words that he said aren't true, and he invalidates himself as your Lord and your Savior. 
He's not just, he can't just be a good man trying to do good because of what he claimed. In fact, when Philip asked him, he said, show us the Father and that'll be enough. He said, have I been with you so long that you do not know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's, a, that's clarity in speech. Have no doubt about it. I am who I say I am. And I can do what I say I will do. The confidence that should build in you is whatever you ask Jesus for, you can be confident that God is going to come through. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to, to fail to listen to you and do what, he's at, what you ask him to do. Now, I want you to take that passage and I want you to go to the book of Proverbs. We're going to jump around just a little bit before we finish John chapter 1 so you get a, the real scope of all that's going on here. In Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 27, the book of Proverbs is filled with references to Jesus. Now, we don't normally think about Proverbs as being a, a book about Jesus. And yet throughout there, it not only mentions references to Jesus, but also references to the entire Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, listen to what the word says. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. Now clearly he is talking about God the Father. And now it says, I was there. When he drew back the circle around the face of the deep. Isn't it interesting that Solomon, when he describes creation, he describes it as a circle. In fact, Jeremiah says God sits above the circle of the earth. How did, how did Solomon know? How did these ancient writers who wrote thousands of years before modern science or modern explorers of the 14th century ever understand that the world was a circle and not flat? It was by divine inspiration. It was by God giving these writers insight into things that could only be known by God. He said, I was there when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the fountains of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. The sons of men, there's a reference to the angels. Before God created the heavens and the earth, he created the angelic beings. Jesus said, I was there. If you make the reference, I'll just give you the quote, but in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26, God said this, God said, let us make man in our image. And that word for God, Elohim, is in the plural. He's literally saying, let us, the Godhead, make man in our image. We see this revelation of the Trinity as early as Genesis chapter 1. Now when we go here to Proverbs, we understand that he was there like their master craftsman. So Proverbs says that Jesus was there and he was like a craftsman creating. Okay, now keep your Bibles and keep turning with me to go to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. If we lay the foundation right for this, it'll help you to understand the entire word of God. If you don't have the foundation right on creation, it will mess you up throughout the word of God. 
Colossians chapter 1, listen to what it says here in verses 16 and 17. For by him, this is speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So God created some things that are visible we can see, we can touch, we can taste, and he created some things that were invisible, angelic beings. All things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So Jesus created all things, He is apart from creation. He was not created, and he holds all things together. And that word holds all things together is a construction in the original language that means to hold so as to to be without an explanation, to be seamless. God holds things together what appears to be in a seamless manner. How does this world have order, the order that it has? Because of Jesus. Now go back to John chapter 1, and let's look again. So in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. You see the clarity when you just slow down and kind of process through the Scripture? He made all things. Nothing that has been made was made apart from Him. In him, life was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And literally, that means the the light cannot overcome it, it cannot understand it, it cannot even relate to it, because light has a life of its own because of Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Who are you following in life? Who are you following in life? A few weeks ago, I gave a message from 2 Kings 13. If you were here, you remember it was a story of the prophet who took the arrows and he he challenged the king to take the arrows and strike them on the ground. And the king only struck them three times and the prophet got angry with him and said, why only three times? You've limited what God can do. And many of you have shared stories about how that message and how that illustration really was transformational in your life. I want to share one story with you that was told to me by a woman in our church named Elizabeth. She said she heard that message, and for some time in her school, she's wanted to start a Bible study. But fear and reluctancy had kept her from doing that. And so she was trying to avoid doing what she felt like God wanted her to do. And she heard the message about the the arrows, and it was kind of ringing true to her that she needs to do that. And so she went to school that day, and as she was walking up the sidewalk, a young man walked up to her. He was just walking on the sidewalk, and he had sticks in his hand, and he's beating the sidewalk with these sticks. And all of a sudden, she's thinking to herself, what is going on here? And then this is just too close to be coincidental. And she said he just stood there beating these sticks, and she stepped around him, and she thought to herself, I'm going to go into the teacher's lounge, and, and I know there's one other Christian uh, teacher there that, that probably if, if he's there, I'll talk to him about it, but he's never there on time, so I know I'll be safe. I love hearing what teachers are on time, aren't you? <laughs> Made me feel much more comfortable about my childhood experience at school, you know, never being there on time. 
So anyway, she walks in there, and the only guy there is that guy. Now, for some of you, you think miracles that I tell are either made-up stories or impossible for you to experience. I'm going to comment on that comment in just a minute, but I want to go on and finish the story. So she says to him, well, you know, I really have been thinking about starting a Bible study. He said, yes, we've been praying that you would start a Bible study. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how when God gets ready to do something, it's really hard to dodge him? God's kind of unavoidable sometimes. He just kind of keeps getting in the way of your plans to avoid doing what you know you're supposed to do. Long story short, she starts the Bible study. There's about 30 teachers at that school, and one-third of the teachers are coming to the Bible study right now because she was obedient to God. Let's give him the glory. Amen. Last week, I shared a story about a man who had a death experience who, sa- who Jesus came and sat on his bed, and then later Satan came and shook the bed, and you probably heard that story and thought, I don't know how that can be true. Well, it was overheard that someone said, well, uh, I don't know how that could really be true, and the man who experienced that miracle looked over and said, it is true, and I am that man, and he's here today. Would you just raise your hand, sir, right here. Give, him the, give God the glory. God is a miracle-working God. Amen? Amen. God is a miracle-working God. If you haven't experienced a miracle, that has nothing to do with God. That just means you haven't brought God into the place of faith yet to see what God can do. I was reminded this morning when I was talking to a friend about some of the things that are happening in China right now with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It reminded me of a story, and I'd forgot about it for some time when I was doing crusades in El Salvador, and I, I uh, was preaching out in the streets, and a colonel in the Salvadorian army came up to me, and he said, I was saved at one of your campaigns last year, and, and I'm a Christian now, and I, I wonder, would you come and, and speak to my men? And, uh, and so I went to this fortress, really, it was the old American embassy that was abandoned after the earthquake, and the Salvadorians took it over and made it into a military fortress there. And so I went in there, there was over a hundred men there, and I was preaching through an interrupter. Some people call them interpreters. <laughs> I just get going good, and the guys interrupted me. I go, wait a minute, I'm making a good point here, would you stop, you know? But I was preaching through this uh, interpreter, and, and I would preach and preach, and we'd just go back and forth and like that. And then I got to the place of asking people, do you want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you like to be saved? And if you would, I want you to pray this prayer. And so I had them pray this prayer, and I said, now, if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up. And all of them stood up but two men. And I looked at the interpreter, and I said, they must have misunderstood. They can't all stand up. What did you tell him? I told him just what you said. I told him if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you just prayed that prayer, stand up. I said, let's, we made it too easy. We've got to go in again. (laughs) Right? We don't want easy believism. We've got to make it tough. So I went this time and I preached again and I said, if or without it, you know you're going to hell unless you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just really just, you know, I got deep south, redneck preaching going on there. You know what I'm talking about? And I said, now, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you've prayed that prayer, they all stood up but two guys. Now I'm mad because what's wrong with those other two guys? (laughs) Why didn't they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So I said, the interpreter, I said, well, we had counselors talking to all of them. I said, let's go over and talk to these two guys. And 
I went over and I said, hey, ask him why they didn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking. And you know how the interpreters, when they start going, they get in their own little world and forget about you. I'm going, hey, I'm over here. This is kind of like my gig, right? And I said, what's going on? He said, oh, they said they're already Christians. They didn't need to stand up. You see, when God wants to work miracles, God does miracles. We need to give God the freedom to be God. Amen? John chapter 1, just drop down in your Bible there. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, the Word became what? Flesh. God, the living God, the eternal God, the Son, became human flesh. He was fully God, fully man. He was the God-man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace. Full of truth. When you come to Jesus, you get grace. You know what that means? He overlooks your sin. He doesn't condemn you. He receives you. He loves you. Full of grace. And He's going to teach you truth so you know how to walk in truth in love, in grace. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Look at this scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, and without controversy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, God was manifest in the flesh. Can it be any clearer? God was manifest in the flesh justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The reason we want to lay a solid foundation of who is Jesus, because this entire series is based on a right understanding of who Jesus Christ is in your life. When you pray, you don't want to be going to someone who's not God. You don't want to be praying through to someone who's not qualified to hear your prayers. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. When Job's heart cried out, he was struggling, trying to figure out what was going on and what was going wrong in his life. And he said, I know one day my Redeemer will stand upon the earth. And then he cried out again and he said, I wish there were a mediator between God and man. Job, going all the way back to the time of Abraham, was saying, I wish there was a mediator. His heart was crying out for the coming Jesus. He said, I wish there was one who could lay his hand on holy God and sinful man. He was crying out for Jesus. And it was Jesus who put one hand on humanity, one hand on God, and brought the two together on the cross. He is the God-man. Well, I want you to know what the enemy will do. He'll come and he'll try to weaken your faith. He'll try to take what little faith you have. Say, I don't have much faith. That's all you need. But he'll take that and he'll try to pull it out from underneath you. He'll try to reduce your willingness to risk in God. You might say, hear people say something like, well, I know it says that in the Bible, but. You ever heard that? Yeah, I know that, but. Hey, stop right there. We got enough buts in this world, Amen. All right, stop. We need God. It says it in the Word of God, period. That settles it. That's all we need to know. The enemy will come and inhibit your vision for what God can do. I don't know if God can really work in this situation. Have you read this book? 
This book is full of crazy stories. Crazy stories is like I tell, right? Even crazier. You look and you go, how's that possible? In the natural realm and without faith, it's not possible. But with God, all things are what? Let's say it together. All things are what? Possible. With God. Apart from God, everything's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Whenever you live uh, apart from faith, the enemy will try to breed suspicion in your heart. You'll say, well, there must be some trick to this whole thing. And he'll begin you thinking differently. He'll paralyze you emotionally. And you'll find yourself just not willing to move and just kind of paralyzed. But here's what you have to do. Stop following the same old pattern in your life. If you've got a pattern of not believing, stop today and say, I'm breaking free from that pattern. I'm going to walk in the way of truth. I'm going to walk in the way of faith. God is a good God. See, the enemy wants to come and say, God's not a good God. You can't trust God. He's not coming through. But you see, faith develops when we see that God is good. If I believe God is good, then I know whatever comes against me, it's okay because God is good. I begin to see the light in the darkness. I begin to see the hope in the despair. I begin to see strength when I'm discouraged. I see that God is good. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, it says, Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't say that faith comes by having heard the word of God. You see the difference? Faith comes by hearing. As you have a hearing ear to what God is saying, your faith is encouraged. You see, when people say, oh yeah, I know the Bible, I've read that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about what you've memorized or what God did yesterday. What is God saying to you today? Faith comes by hearing. Hear it? It's present tense. I'm hearing God speak. Right now, God is speaking to you. His word is speaking. And you have a choice. Do I accept it, receive it, reject it? What do I do with the hearing word of God, the present tense God? You see, we need to have a listening heart. When you have a listening heart, then you're ready for a deposit of faith. God, I want to have a listening heart. God, I'm going to hear. Maybe everything I've thought about you is incorrect. Maybe all the skepticism I've put up in front of me that keeps you from working in my life is not correct. Maybe all the reasoning, all the rationale, all the barricades and blockades I've put in front of my faith is wrong. Hey, I have changed over the years in my faith understanding, haven't you? Is it possible that we don't know everything there is to know about faith? Absolutely. I feel like I know this much, but I think a few years ago I knew this much. I want to be growing in my faith understanding. Let me give you this thought too. Listen to this one carefully. You might even want to write this one down. Fear, fear cannot forecast your future. Fear cannot forecast your future. People live in fear and they, think, and they let that guide their future. Don't let fear be the guidance. Don't let fear lead you down that road. It's never going to be good. People live, oh, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Well, don't worry about what's God going to do. What is God going to do? How many of you have ever worried about the worst and it never happened? Anybody just raise your hand. You worried about something bad going to happen and it didn't happen. So disappointing, isn't it? Because you were so sure. 
You were so sure that the worst was going to happen. It didn't happen. You say, well, why didn't it happen? I was so sure that that bad thing was going to happen. You see, don't let fear guide your future. God's in control of that. Little book of Jude, chapter 1, beginning in verses uh, 24 and 25. There's only one chapter in that book. But listen to what it says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Who's, who's responsible to keep you from stumbling in life? It's God. If it was you, we'd all be in a mess, amen? You see, if it's me, no, God's got to be there to help me. He's got to be there to guide me. And to present you faultless. Who's going to present you? God is. How is he going to present you? Faultless. You see, in the blood of Christ, you're clean. Your sins are behind you. He doesn't hold those sins against you. To present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Hey, one day I'm going to stand before God. He's going to say, you're faultless. And I'm going to have a smile on my face. Don't get this idea when I get to heaven. It's just going to be a total downer. Because God's going to show this, you know, the, the, the video of my life and all the stuff I did wrong. Wouldn't that be a downer? I, uh, when I was in seminary, I also taught in, a, in a, another seminary in New Orleans. Uh, and that's New Orleans for you who have never lived there. But New Orleans, uh, for those of you who know Louisiana and South Louisiana, I, and I taught there a class. And I taught a class on preaching. And it was an, the entire seminary of about 350 students was comprised of of black students. It was a black seminary. It was awesome. I was like the token white guy. It was awesome. They told me I was black on the inside, so it made me feel a lot better. But I remember this guy got up and he said this, and I, I still can hear him say it. I can still see it. It was the greatest sermon. I, I wonder, how do you guys come up with these great lines? They're so good. He said, put it like this, God got a 16 millimeter film of your life. And on Judgment Day, he's going to show it. <laughs> and ain't going to be no popcorn on that day. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Talk about getting my attention. Man, I hope that isn't true. That just doesn't sound like it's going to be a fun experience. But look what it says back to Jude. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior. Who's Jesus? God. God our Savior. Who's Jesus? Jesus is God. You have to have that foundation to move forward and understand the Word of God. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Who does this Jesus what does he get? He gets glory, he gets majesty, he has dominion, he has power, he has it now, he has it forever. Jesus is God. Amen? Give him the glory. Jesus is God. If Jesus is God, don't limit Jesus. Don't limit God. God has an unlimited supply of light to pour into your life. He can pour light into the area where you hurt and you have pain. He can pour light into the area where you have sin and struggle and difficulty. He pours light into the areas where you have depression and discouragement and defeat. Don't talk yourself out of the light. Well, I'm getting out of the light. I don't think I like the light. No, get, stay in the light. Stay in the light. Did you know that Satan can't take anything from you? And he never comes violently in your life. 
He waits for you to give Him dominion over your life. You give Him some of your emotions. Say, well, I'm really discouraged and I'm defeated. You give it over. You give up dominion. God wants you to have dominion over the enemy. Don't give it up. He waits for you to give dominion and then He takes the authority from you that you have. And He uses it against you. You see, you empower the enemy to rule over different aspects of your life. And typically what it means is there's some areas of your life where you have a pretty good handle on it. And he's not ruling over that area of your life. But other areas, you've just given over dominion. You go, well, I just don't, I, I've tried to win that battle. I can't win that battle. Hey, take dominion back in the name of Jesus. Take it back in the name of Jesus. Stand on the truth. Let the light infuse that situation for you. Here's another thing I want you to understand. You have the advantage. You ever been in a situation where you clearly had the advantage? One of my favorite quotes from Napoleon is this one. Never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. <laughs> hey, when Satan's making a mistake, don't interrupt him. When you see that happening, realize you have the advantage. Colossians chapter 1 and Verse 13, it says, He has delivered us, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. You're delivered. That's not where I live anymore. I live in light. And He has conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son in love. So I go out of darkness into light, out of hate into love. I'm in the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 says this, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. I like that, don't you? He's going to crush Satan under your feet. You see, we have to recapture the dominion in our life. We were born for this. We were born to rule over darkness, not to be ruled by darkness. We were born to plunder hell. Plunder hell. That's what Je you know, every time Jesus casts a demon out of somebody, you know he's plundering you know, every time someone gets saved, we're plundering hell. Every time we love someone, we're plundering hell. We're saying hate's not going to prevail, love's going to prevail. Grace is going to prevail, love is going to prevail. We're going to stand on that stuff. We establish God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, Jesus said, uh, deliver us. When you pray, deliver us from evil. Hey, I don't want any part of that. Get me out of that mess. We should be praying that. Pray the Lord's Prayer daily if you need to but remember what it says i want deliver me from evil i don't want to be around that stuff i know what that does to me i'm too weak i'm too tempted deliver me from evil and then he said he told peter he said i've given you the keys of the kingdom do you notice how he said keys plural he didn't say one key he wasn't talking about one key to get into into salvation he said i've given you keys how many are there i don't know i don't know whether there's two 50, 100. Here's what I do know about the kingdom, though. When I walk through that first door and I step in, I've got another key to go into another door. And there are multiple layers of understanding God and the kingdom power and accessing what God wants to do in us and through us. And if you stop with the first key and say, well, I'm going to heaven, isn't that all that matters? That's the first key. Are you really satisfied without seeing the rest of the house? You ever notice when somebody comes over to your house, you have a few house guests over, what's the first thing the women say? Oh, show me your house. 
And wives are always too quick to do that. Oh, yes, we'll do that because you know why? Because the guy's been cleaning all day long to get ready for the rest of that house. Amen? Now, you see, if they ask the guy, he said, I'm not showing you around. We locked it up upstairs. That's why we have two-story houses so we can have it messy up there and have it for guests down here. Hey, Jesus said, hey, all my house is available to you. I got, I've given you all, all the keys. Say, I got all the keys. I got all the keys. Okay, now just go in the door. What door are you going in? I'm going in, I'm going in deeper. I'm going to get more of the depth of God. I love that passage over there in Revelation where Jesus said, I have the keys of life and death. He's got all the keys. You feeling death right now? Get the key. Go in the door of life. I'm feeling life. Get some more. Go into another door. Get deeper into God. Let God work and move in you in a mighty way. Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. Move in the light. Just say it to yourself. I'm going to move in the light. If I'm feeling a little discouraged, I'm moving in the light. I mean, like God's not coming through, I'm moving in the light. I'm being like life isn't working for me, I'm moving in the light. I'm just going to move in the light. Wherever the light is, I'm moving in the light. Secondly, ask God to give you a fresh start. Everything that happened yesterday is yesterday. You can't change it. You can't bring it back. You can't modify it. You, can't, you can wish it were different. It won't do any good. How about a fresh start today? How about you get a mental picture of God walking to a chalkboard, to a white erase board, and everything that you've done that you regret, and he takes that, that eraser and he begins to say, you know what, I don't know what you're talking about. I've removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He starts to erase it. But what about that? Oh, that's at the bottom of the ocean, and I've got a no fishing sign over it. Oh, but Satan came, and he was accusing me. I've overcome him. I've crushed Satan under my feet. But God, I don't even hear that word, but. If you say God, I'll respond. God, yes, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Tell God what you want him to do for you. Walk in the light. Move in the light. Take the key. Move forward. Jesus is God. He can handle the situation. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray, we pray in that name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. You've told us that it's in that name that we can experience salvation, new life, and we call upon that name, Father. There are those among us today who may not know you, do not know that you are their Savior and there are their God. And I just pray right now that they would pray a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died, were buried, and rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. And in that name, Jesus, I ask you to save me. That is, give me the gift of eternal life. Let my past be my past. Let me get a fresh start and move in the light. If that was your prayer, I want you to know that Jesus did exactly what you asked him to do. If you're a believer and you've been living apart from this knowledge of how God wants to work in your life, you've been letting the circumstances get you down, 
You've been listening to the wrong voice. I'm going to ask you to just cast it off and embrace life in God. Embrace life in God. Right now we're going to be worshiping here. We're going to be singing. And as we do, I'm going to ask you just if you feel led of God, you can just come here to the front and stand and and just a kind of a, a statement of just God, I just want, I want to move in the light. I want to walk in fullness. As we just worship the Lord, there's just oceans of love and oceans of grace that God brings to us, God. And God, apart from you, we can't understand, we can't even relate to what that means. But God, we want to have these waves of just liquid love flow over us right now, God. Pour over.